All right, welcome to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast with myself, Kevin Reeves, and Baker Levitt, and Mr. Tom Kubinick, CEO of Secure It Tactical. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, yeah, glad you could make it. Yeah, been I appreciate a good, it. Love getting to the mountains. Love getting to Salt Lake. I haven't been here in three years. Yeah, but so, you live in New York. I live in central New York. I'm just outside of the Catskills. Mm-hmm. So secure it's in Syracuse. I live in a little town, Casanova, and I've got a 500-acre hunting ranch about 20 minutes from the office. How's the weather up there compared to this? Hold on, Baker. We're yeah. about the same right yeah. now. Tom, how do you take your coffee? I'm now doing it black, occasionally with cream. I was doing, I was a coffee and cream guy forever. Mm -hmm. I'm carnivore diet, so I still do coffee, but I've eliminated the dairy part of it. So now I've gone black. This one, though, when I got here, I went special. I added a little steamed milk to it just because, hey, I'm here. So, so we now have we'll two treat. topics to discuss today. Go. Oh, 100%. I already identified the <laughs> yeah. diet and we, ahead okay. of time. He started talking about it. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Great. Awesome. Where did you grow up? I grew up in central western New York. Okay. Uh, by Rochester, Buffalo. Okay. What's the what's the origin story? In terms of? Just school. Where'd you start? So what'd you do as a kid? I grew up in Batavia and... Uh, Started playing guitar when I was 14. I was playing in bands at 16 in bars. Mm-hmm. Graduated from high school as uh, the gold be guitarist, and I played 10 hours a day. Toured all over the that part of the country and uh, played in a Judas Priest Iron Maiden cover band. Hell yeah! Yes, Deep Purple cover band. Okay. And uh, in 1983, Guitar Player Magazine put out a thing for sending demos. Who's the best unknown unsigned guitar player? They did the article on me. Nice. It was the bomb. So I moved to Hollywood. I went to MI, which is Musicians Institute, for a year, really to, to make contacts, just to play all day with the best. And uh, that's all I did. And I developed tendonitis. Shit. And I couldn't play. Uh, so, okay, so what age are you at that point? 23. Okay. 24. That's young. Yeah. So, I mean, I, was, I thought I was on top of the world. I'm like, I had a couple of instructional videos I did. I just things were just happening. Yeah. And all of a sudden I couldn't this was getting worse. I was working on a a video and it was a it was a video about how to play clean fast. And uh, it was a really cool concept of an accelerating metronome. It was perfect I mean this was pra- perfect practice, painfully slow, slowly accelerated. It was I mean it was, there was a lot of pseudoscience behind it, but doing that and I learned this years later. I started getting into working out years later. And you learn from any trainer, you work different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. And you give you know, you're three, four days in between a heavy lift on muscle groups. Well, I was doing this every day. Too much. And, yeah. And yeah. I didn't, looking back at it, I should have I should have spent more. I should have learned human physical. But uh, who would have thought? I would have never thought of well, that. Well, it's no. balance. It is. So it's, if, you look, if you look at Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. like repeating the same motion that's yeah. only engaging this muscle group one a group of muscles on this side and an opposite muscle group on this side yep. but you're not going back and equally training and there's no balance and that's when things start going haywire it's, it's like but oh, he was renowned <coughs> for actually like lifting and taking care of himself tiger woods oh yeah i remember they were like yeah he's like a 315 rep kind of yep. guy because he worked out but stayed fit dad he, he took it to extremes of course and <clears throat> i think as a society it's important that we have people like that because we look up to them. 
Yeah. Okay. And the thing about Tiger Woods, his shin splints, he would not take a day off. His shin splints were so bad, it traveled up into his knees. Yeah. Now think about that for a second. What did you say decreasing painfully slow on a metronome? Can you say that one more time? It was just, no, it was a a metronome program. When you're playing the technical guitar, you practice perfect. If you can play something painfully slow, I mean, absolutely perfect motion, minimal finger movement, just absolutely efficiently perfect. You do that for 30 days and you can play it faster. If you just start playing fast, you'll play sloppy. There's some guitar players. Slash is a great musician. He's a sloppy guitar player. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of messy. And then there's some guitars that are very technical. They never make a mistake. It's actually how a lot of the apps are built. So I got back into guitar. I'm terrible. And got my son into it, and we would play yeah. together. But it's now all of it's based on metronome, and it's online. But it's showing you. It'll set you at a certain pace, and then it picks up the yep. pace. And it'll it'll basically buzzer you when you right. make a mistake. That's what this, this was. This was an accelerating metronome program, which I actually made. I actually wrote up. I mean, this is before the computer crap. Yeah. I actually wrote a routine in probably Quick Basic that would do a tick, do an accelerating click track, basically a little home studio. It worked. And it does, I was just like, yeah. this is gonna be a really cool video. And this at the time, I don't you guys, there was on TV, it was called the 20 minute workout. It was three like mm-hmm. kind of skanky girls doing a stupid workout on I TV. I was super into it. And, yeah, uh, still am. <laughs> so this was a 20 minute workout for guitar. If you want to be, this is back when, you know, burners were. They hold, hold, Malmsteen, the hold on, players. hold on one second. What he's describing, doing something perfectly every time really slow, and if you do it that for 30 days, you can get faster. Mm-hmm. There's a parallel there in your previous job. 100%. Hunt shooting. Oh, Same it's, concept, it's, right? It's the whole, you know, people will say slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Fast yeah. is fast, but it's because of that you know, single, well-placed round doing that perfectly. That's, and then through repetition, being able to execute it faster and, and yeah, so as it's, accurately. It's, and it's, it's, it's the holy grail. A lot of people don't know this. I mean, I don't get to the range as often as I'd like to. I, mean, I don't shoot that much at all right now. But I still do well because, again, at my office, I'm shooting clays. I've got a shotgun in my house. I mean, I go in the bathroom. I mean, almost every day. And you see, there, there's that motion of your head to the barrel. There's, there's mm-hmm. that, there's, you, you rehearse mechanics. It's the law the of 10,000 reps. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's the difference between if I'm off the gun for a while, my fundamentals yeah. are still right. solid. I just need a little bit of time to increase the speed. Yep. That's, that's, always, uh, that's always the fact, key. I'm bow hunting. So I did the, went to carnivore because – so let's fly. Let's get back to the original yeah. story so we yeah. get to where we are today, <laughs> not jump ahead. So I couldn't play anymore. I knew nothing. All I did was play guitar. I mean, like 10 hours a day. My parents kicked me out of the house at one point because all I did was practice, was work, work, work on guitar. So what do you do? So I took a job telemarketing typewriter ribbons hmm. to businesses because I had no skills. and It was a job you didn't need skills for. I was so bad. The manager liked me because I worked hard, so he moved me to a non-selling position in the company. But I saw where the money was being made. I quit, took a straight commission job selling printer ribbons to for computer printers what year and was this this was 1986 okay the mm-hmm. the, the ribbon and yeah the ribbon yeah. printers ah. and we were selling those b2b and i was horrible but i immersed myself in the world of sales and said i'm, I'm gonna live or i'm gonna die doing this i'm not i'm not gonna make 10 bucks an hour i just i need to control my future i started and i slowly got better at it two years into the job i quit and started a, a company doing the same thing with two partners in a apartment in San Fernando Valley 
probably one of the worst neighborhoods in San Fernando Valley for drugs and crime and gunfights. It was, it was a show up in the morning. It was their apartment. We had three cardboard boxes where our offices. I had a phone, and we just had a phone book, a yellow page, just leads calling, just calling places. Just cold call. And yeah, yeah, and we just slowly, slowly. Two years later, we had an office and a couple of employees. Four years later, we had 18 employees. And it just grew. Um, I ended up selling to my partners. We just were going different directions. And I started Greenline Data, which, again, I went back to started in a condo at that time. Had one employee and built that to about 20 reps. In the 90s, I got on the website. Hold on. What is Greenline yeah, Data? What that was my next company. The same thing. Greenline Data was a telemarketing organization selling B2B you know, office supplies. Okay. I got on the websites in the 90s. This was like before... You know, mosaic. This was like back when downloading an image from NASA was like one picture. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I started looking at websites and I taught myself HTML. I started creating websites, just really kind of just experimenting with stuff. And I made like, there was no e com, but you could generate leads. You could get an email in. So I was like, crossbow. I was looking at what could I sell? If I can get leads, I can source the product. And we started doing stuff. And I was making these different websites, just kind of teaching myself. All of a sudden, we started getting requests for metal racks to store backup tapes. Remember, um, back in the day, you'd back up all your computers on backup tapes. Well, in the, in the 80s, 90s, tapes were low capacity. So like a government, a big business would have thousands of backup tapes. And they had these whole strategies for backing up and storing data, and they all went into metal racks. And it was all slot addressable management. You could find your data. It was pretty complex stuff. So we came up with taperack.com, and that website became wildly popular. We became one of the largest sellers of tape racks in the country. And then HIPAA passed the law. The HIPAA laws for hospitals had to lock up hard drives. So what, what's HIPAA? So people HIPAA listening. HIPAA is the, I don't know what it stands for. I, okay. I, I remember, it was it's the, med- oh, medical records. Yeah, it okay. was the laws that stated that there's healthcare information. I don't remember, but hospitals. Private, healthcare sudden, Information Privacy Act. Right. Yeah. They have to lock up <clears throat> hard drives with personal information. So we went to one of our manufacturers and said, hey, laptop cabinets. So we started talking, came up with some designs, and we, I created LaptopStorage.com, SecureLaptopStorage.com, Powered Laptop. I had like 31 websites all back when you could kind of spam it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is before Google. And uh, we became one of the largest sellers of laptop cabinets. And in 2000, end of 2001, a guy called me and said, can you guys store MP5s? I'm like, sure. I go, what's an MP5? <laughs> I, really, I had no idea. My background is not firearms. I could shoot, but I really didn't, I didn't know the industry. He goes, it's a little machine gun. I started laughing. I go, who is this? He goes, I'm with the FBI. I said, you know, I'm sure we can. Can you give me a little time to research? I said, I'll call you back in a week. He goes, sure. So I call up Steve Moulton, who owned Dasco, the company in Canada that made our, a lot of products for us. And we had a great relationship. I said, Steve, I got a call from the FBI, MP5. So you know what that is? He goes, yeah, he was a gun guy. He yeah. goes, Tom, now they made a lot of security products, filing cabinets for the Canadian government, like classified document storage. Right. He said, Tom, I'm already talking to the Canadian military. They want weapon racks. I said, this is cool. I said, so we designed a weapon rack and started marketing it. And they, he designed it for the Canadian military. We marketed it in the U.S. in um, 2002. In 2006, USAFIC at the time, that's part of SOCOM, mm-hmm. U.S. Army Special Forces Command, we became aware of a solicitation that they were putting out for an arms room assessment. Their armories were failing. 
failing miserably. Why were they failing? The transition from the M16 to the M4, you went from a, a battle rifle that was just a, a, a common rifle, 39 inches long, to an M4, which is a modular, you know, it's a weapon system. You've got a SOP mod kit, you, got, you know, seven to 11 different components, different length barrels, collapsible stocks, you know, all these, it wasn't a standard rifle. And all the racks in existence held 39-inch guns. This is a real struggle. I've it, seen it was, this. Well, even basic training. So yeah. in 2001, um, you'd have these racks. And back then, you had what we called the longbow. That's your long standard M4. It was actually right. the um, M16A4. M16A4. So yeah, that was, was the first like, modern. Yeah. It was a quad rail, but it didn't fit in correctly. It didn't mm. fit in the rack. Mm -hmm. it, that one almost worked, almost only because it came off the long version. But then right. when you actually get to your unit, so when I went to the Army, got placed in my unit, same racks early yeah. on and they your your m4 was basically it would catch the buttstock and it wouldn't catch the top portion right of the, right and this, yeah. so they made the mod for the racks to mm -hmm. drop it down so this and that's a, that was a, that was a problem for the military it's oh, a they just sit around and stare so, at it well now, now so, check i'm sorry to interrupt but in our arms room it's not a horrible problem the arms room is secure you know you've got your armor mm -hmm. everything else but it's just laying on a wall but when you look at the vast majority of in basic training they take the guns and they put them in trucks and racks a lot of times. So those those are moving around. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a thing. So why not improve your arms room? I'm assuming that's where some of that went. Improve your arms yeah. room also. Well, this, the Yusufic problem was they didn't just have the rifle. They had therm They had all the optics were coming, yeah. all the electronics. That's all high-value gear must be stored in an armory. They had no capacity for it. Mm -hmm. So you walk in the armory, it was a complete shitstorm. It was just a mess. So this solicitation we become aware of. Now, that once they issued a solicitation, you can't talk to anybody. You simply do a bid, but still, they haven't issued it yet. When you, hold on, when you say you can't talk to anyone. Once a formal government bid comes out, there's a, you're, not, you're not supposed to communicate with the end user. It's, the, the specs are out there. I can talk to contracting. Autonomous. And say, yeah, I, I can ask questions of contracting, but all my communication goes through contracting. It's, it's tough to get stuff. Okay. So this is, it hadn't been issued yet. So we scheduled a meeting with a colonel down in Bragg just to learn more. Secure it as a three-person company. Greenline, it's still part of Greenline Data. Greenline Data was my telemarketing business, still running, really doing a lot of tape, tape racks, laptop storage stuff, and Secure it was simply a brand within Greenline. Mm -hmm. So we go down. Gary Myrick was my number two in the company. He looked like an operator. He looked like a trigger puller. He wasn't, but he looked the part. He, sp he, just, he, he spoke military well, so it was a great asset to have with me. We walk into this guy's office, and I just said, Hi, Colonel. My name's Tom Kubinick with Securit. I'm considered the leading authority on small arm storage and armory design, and uh, I think we're the company to do this for you. And Gary just looks at me, and we had a great conversation. We left, and he, he goes, what the fuck was that? And what do you mean? He goes, Sm leading authority. I said, Gary, nobody knows this space. No, there is no company doing this. Well, there's no authority claim it. He's like, I said, look, I, to, as far as he's concerned, I am the leading authority. There's nobody in the world that can tell me I'm not. I go, but now, Gary, we win this. we got to be the leading authority. And so we, our bid, we are up against, like, Harris. I mean, these are big defense contractors. They're bidding, like, you know, those guys bid $2 million. Bucks, but there's nothing. Our bid came in at probably 350000 Decent. We made some money on it. Not a lot. We made enough. What, what was that facility? What, what were they buying for three? So what they bought was... I spent the next 18 months traveling all over the country to every Special Forces armory, mm -hmm. sat with the armorer, interviewed him, talked to him, watched, just watched the workflow. 
photographed everything, detailed what the weapons were, detailed what the gear was, measurements, all this stuff, and just basically spent time in all the armories. And this is access a civilian does not get. How how did you get access? I, just, I had a, I had an, a uh, they assigned us like an attaché. He mm-hmm. was a uh, corporal who traveled with us to all the armories. He probably stood there and made sure that the pictures didn't actually show serial numbers okay. or there capabilities. Was, it was, and, yeah. I mean, it was there was no, we had, there were certain rooms within like CAG within some of the groups that we were not allowed in. Right. I mean, basically, if they're modifying foreign weapons, we don't get to see that. Right. So, but we saw not, but during that contract. We became, I became the leading authority. That's when I learned. I mean, we just cut our teeth. And just before that was ending, we came up with the Secure Tactical Weapon Storage Platform, which was the new storage solution, um, which we introduced. We did our report, presented the report, and said, guys, we, ha- we think we have the solution. And we weren't sure if they were going to love it, hate it, or laugh at us. We came up with it. You know, the, what they were using was their, their, their solution to fix with all the changes was a modular rack with interchangeable parts. It had 75 different parts. Oof. So you had M2 bracket, M4, depending on the weapon, you mm-hmm. had the brackets. System works perfectly until M2, until the weapon list changes, you know, six months down the road. Mm-hmm. Now the brackets don't work. Well, they never buy new brackets. They just make do with what you have. And the racks slowly get worse and worse. Our solution was one moving part that would hold an M4 to a Mark 19 to a 50 cal up to shoulder launch systems, adjustable on the fly by the armor. So it doesn't matter what weapon he has, he walks up to the rack, adjusts the saddle, rack goes, and it goes in. For gear storage, we use plastic bins that they sell at Home Depot. We called it Home Depot Development. Our, we were the only people that made a non-proprietary solution for the military. Our saddle system was patented, but the rest of the system, Buy it from us, buy it from Home Depot, steal it from your motor pool. We don't care. What we're trying to provide is a tool that your armor, locally or downrange, he can source materials to solve storage problems. And that was 2000. We officially launched Cradle Grid System in 2008. So that is the Cradle Grid System? Yeah, Cradle Grid System. At that time, it was called the Secure Tactical Weapon Storage Mm -hmm. Platform. By 2011 and 2012, we were the primary supplier to the U.S. military. It was fast. It went. Cr- we, it was crazy. Was it hard to keep up? No. no, no, because our manufacturing was good and it was. We were small. I mean, at that point, we blew up. We hired. We were hiring people. I had. A, I bought a plane. I was flying all over the north. I'm a pilot, so we were flying all over. We were. It was. It was awesome. Obama. Sequestration hit under Obama. Now this was not. Yeah. An, I'm not an Obama supporter. I just. I don't. His policies. Sequestration was a was a congressional mistake. What is sequestration? That was when, to get a budget through, the Republicans, I think it was Republicans, I could be wrong on this, but they put in this clause that if we don't have a balanced budget, we, there'll be forced military cuts that were so deep and so painful that we will always have a budget because we'll never let sequestration hit. They put in a clause basically to agree with Democrats, or it was a... You know, it was a bipartisan solution to we don't get along. So, okay, down the road, if we can't solve this problem, sequestration forces military cuts so deep that we don't want to make them. And figure that would prevent them from not being able to do a budget. Well, the time passed, they didn't have a budget, sequestration hit. And my company, we were rock and roll. We went five months without getting a single order. It was a big thing. It hit all the way down to the soldier. Oh, yeah. What year was this? 
I think was that 2013 was it yeah. hit it was early but it affected us I think it was 2013 is when it really crushed us 2013 you were PJ I was still doing guards though. Yeah. I'm yeah yeah so you're, no, you weren't a ranger no 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 that was that was set five is when yeah. I yeah yeah so we uh five months without an order so I'm watching every two weeks my payroll gets made I ran all my stuff. I'm just watching my cash bleed, bleed, bleed. Sold my plane, laid a couple people off. We're just, we're just this is going to come out of this room. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I'm a member of a Vistage group, which is a CEO peer group. We all help each other. And so we met once a month with those guys. They all thought I was going out of business. They thought, we all, nowadays, you're like, Tom, we all thought you were done. And I got to a point where I had sold off every asset I had except our house. We had a nice house on a lake. My wife and I were like, we started looking at little farmhouses because mm. I could sell the house. That was the last thing I had that could generate cash. And they had the company down to four people. And then we picked up an order for it was a half a million dollar order with about a $200,000 profit. I'm just like, all right, that's going to get that. That's going to buy me a little bit of time. And we just, and all of a sudden we got another one. We slowly came out of it. But it was at that point I realized no matter how cool we are, if the government turns off the faucet, I'm a pawn. Yep. I'm dead. So we decided we should go into retail. There's a, there's a space where we're dealing at an individual level. There's no, the government can't tell people they can't spend money. So we started looking at taking our system into retail. And uh, you flash forward that today, retail is 85, 87% of my business is retail. The military market right now, it's hard to get an exact number on it. It's between seven and 13 million a year. The consumer market is 600 to 800 million a year. Why didn't I see that? You know, I was, I was looking, why didn't I see that in 2006? Because you, 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 you didn't need to see it. At the no, time. You, it's, it's, yeah, you need, you see, it's those blinders. Do you know how many people have sat in that seat and had similar yeah. stories? Mm -hmm. Like Evan Hafer, for example, you were selling assets, Evan was selling guns. Yeah. You know, to pay credit card bills and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Maddox had some stories like that where mm -hmm. he thought he was done. We had him in here, and it, 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 it's it, it's one of those things where, like, uh, <clears throat> as a society, as a country, like I, I remember the dot com boom and the yeah. dot com bust. Oh yeah. I remember the real estate boom and the real estate bust, and now we're dealing with what we're dealing with now. Yeah. So every like eight to ten years. Something comes and hammers us as yep. a, as a country, yeah. And it's funny because we all have like amnesia to a degree, and we don't remember the previous things that happened. Like, oh, yeah. it's gonna, you know, you just you get blinded by success, yeah. and you're not why, why you're not thinking about that. You're focused on doing the task at right. hand. Right. You know? Well, I also think that you get a little bit ancestral, especially like military members that were focusing on some sort of entrepreneurial thing. Like, I've had ideas that would apply to the military. <laughs> But I learned real quickly, I had, I had this belt design a long time ago. So I take a belt, cut it apart, then I try to source the material. And I realize that I'm going to pay a buck a foot, but Blackhawk is going to pay 10 cents a foot. So to get into the industry is very difficult, yeah, number yeah. one. Number two, having the bandwidth to do it. But number three, once you get into like special operations and you see the money that's spent, you naturally think like, man, if I have something that I can provide to the military, there's always going to be a source of income to continue yeah. to pay for that. It's not natural to think, oh, they're going to shut the faucet off. No. You just don't see our government, our military that yeah. way. And that's what that time frame was. It was, it was. it was brutal. However, you know, again, when your back is against the wall and you have no choices, you start looking differently. And that's one of the challenges I see with government policies that keep putting bailouts in place. 
I mean, he said, you need to let people fail. Let people struggle. It's at the time of the hardest struggle that you that the best creativity, the greatest solutions come out mm-hmm. when people, you know, people against the wall. There's always, I can't think of the name of the book. There's a book out there about, it's a Lenciani book about how companies can rally during a big crisis. So how do you create a mindset of crisis just to keep the company rocking and rolling? But it's that hmm. we got to let people do that. So we went into retail and my first thought was, okay, we came up with a simple solution that was integrating our product as conversion kits for gun safes. Pretty easy. We brought it to market pretty quickly. I hired a guy as a retail to manage retail. He was local. He was a lot of experience in apparel. And he actually got us into a lot of places. We were in Bass Pro. We were Tractor Supply. It was a little bit a lot. And these are big retailers. And uh, I flew out and met with Liberty, Fort Knox to look at partnering. I mean, I said, look, if we're going to consumer products, we don't know safes. I'm not a safe guy. Right. Let's partner with the safe industry. So I met with the senior team at Liberty. Um, they're, one of their product development guys loved what we were doing. And he and I talked, and he's like, I'm like, we just clicked. He said, I need you out here. So I came out and met with the senior team, and they're like, Tom, your system in our Fat Boy Junior holds 12 guns. That safe holds 36 guns. I'm like, with all due respect, there's no way you'll ever fit 36 guns in, in your safe. Your capacity is dramatically overstated. That's a 12-gun safe. They're all overstated. Well, they are. His Every response, single one of them. This is the head of sales. I've got one at my house that's overstated. Yeah. They all, <laughs> his response was, well, that's our industry's little white lie. If Canon says 40, we say 42. I said, you know, my rest- in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, your, your, your customers are smarter than that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that. We talked about several several other aspects of gun storage. And we, I walked out and said, wow, we're never going to work with a safe company. And, yeah. and we then immediately said, we've got to build cabinets. We've got to build, we've got to take tw- you know, everything we've learned in the military. We had a lot of experience. At that point, we were building armories all over the world and design a solution for the way people live. I would say you you store guns for the it's congruent with why do you own a why did you buy the gun and why how do you use the gun? We'll store it in a manner that is congruent with that that actually enables you. If you got home defense, store your guns in a manner that improves your home defensive capability. You walk into a safe dealer or distributor and the guy's going to tell you. And they all say the same thing. Buy the biggest safe you can afford, you will grow into it. I'm like are you out of your mind? So the biggest safe you can afford ends up in your basement. Mm-hmm. It's still big. And like our methodology is buy small modular cabinets. Buy what you need. If you get more guns, buy another one. Why tie up an extra $2,000 in some monster? Just buy what you need. Talk to your realtors. Two most left behind things when people move. Hot tubs and gun safes. And the yeah. average American now moves. We track this. It's, it's every 6.3 years. It was 6.8 years two years ago. It keeps people are becoming more mobile. So we make lightweight, modular solutions um, to replace the gun safe with. Again, our cradle grid system on the interior allows everybody who buys my cabinet or my safe to build the interior that meets their needs. There's no instructions. It's extremely simple. It just you just it's kind of like Legos. You just in fact the guys at Bragg third group they call it the Lego rack. The Marines at Pendleton called it the Tetris rack because every single cabinet they would just build mm-hmm. to meet their needs. And that's kind of what we brought to the consumer market. And then we put them all in. It's all fast access. I mean, for me, it's you know three second access. I'm in my home, and then we use the principles of decentralized storage. Is you know that's we kind of coined that or established those guidelines break up the big heavy safe and store guns where it makes sense. So there's a whole 
So <laughs> there's a whole methodology to where and why you store firearms. And a lot of people don't realize what's the most secure room in your house and what's the least secure room in your house. So funny you should say that yeah. because I had different devices all around the house. I like mm -hmm. a pistol in every room. Mm -hmm. They're all the same, white yeah. light capable with a holster, usually yeah. outside of the safe so I can grab it, put it on. I had the giant safe in the basement, bolted yeah. the whole thing for all the other guns. Right. You'd be so proud of me, but I had to use every PJ skill that I had and some Egyptian skills with some pipes, some uh, you know, like moving blankets and whatnot to slide this thousand pound safe oh, yeah. out and get it into a dude's. I literally built a three to one on my deck just to get it off the ground and then swing it and put it in the back of this dude's tundra. I did move my own safe. But it's, then there's there's a whole industry around moving there, safes. And again, to move a safe, it's I, I, terrible. When you move your house, like you hire United, one of the big moving companies, they won't touch a safe. Nope. <clears throat> so you have to hire a local safe guy to remove it from the house. It's a, it's half and, the price right, of the giant safe. And then you have to hire a trucking company to truck it to your new house, and then you have to hire a local safe company to reinstall it. So you're into a, you're into a thousand, depending on how far you're oh, moving, easy. or a lot more. Yeah. So if you move every six point three years on average. Why buy a big, heavy safe? And then again, the safe industry wants you to believe that weight is security. Weight is drywall. Mm -hmm. Our cabinets are the same gauge steel as safes. And to prove my point on security, and this is really the whole security aspect of gun storage is based on you know UL rate safes. And that goes back to the 1800s. UL was created by the insurance industry to rate electrical components. Hmm. When the America went electric, the fire insurance industry went crazy. They're so worried about fires. They created UL to certify electrical components. And every extension cord, every piece of gear you have that plugs in has that UL rating on it. They still don't exist today, but they also rate safes. From little safes on up to bank vaults. The gun safe industry in the 70s, that's when it really launched. Insurance said, what are these? We need a rating on these. UL, we need these rated. So UL tested a bunch of them and created the rating, RSC. Anybody can open a gun safe, look on the door. Class RSC, mm -hmm. residential security container. What's missing? The Fire. word safe. UL statement, we will not allow the use of the word safe because these don't meet the minimum performance to be called a safe. The class rating by UL states your RSC cabinet will block access from one person for five minutes with a pry bar of less than 18 inches, a hammer of less than five pounds, and a small hand drill. That's a 1950 threat. Think about it. That's like a guy with a little mask on and a screwdriver. I mean, it's, it's he seems un when you when you list it, I think, well, he's unprepared. If he wants those guns, he's unprepared. But that's that's the rating. So the safe industry now, when you look at advertising, it all goes to the door. Plates. You want high security corner bolts, hardened steel bolts, extra bolts, hook bolts. You've got drill plates over where the lock is, you can't drill it. They got full plate doors, all this stuff on the doors, which makes the doors very heavy. So you fill the safe with extra drywall so it won't tip over on a little kid when you open the door. I'm a thief. I'm going to break into your house. On the way, I'm going to stop at Home Depot and buy a carbide steel blade for my 1987 circular skill saw I bought the year I got married. The blade's 22 bucks. It's used in the concrete industry for cutting rebar, up to one inch rebar, all day long. I'm going to go to the side of your safe. I don't care what brand, I don't care how thick the steel is. I'm going to cut a, about an 18 by 18 inch hole in the side of your safe. It's going to take me about 20 seconds. It's at the rate I can, tr I can cut plywood. We have videos. I mm -hmm. took, a, took a Fat Boy Junior. I walked around it. 
and I cut the safe in half in a minute, 18 seconds. <laughs> and just, and again, I'm not trying to be a dick. People, I mean, I got blown up for that. No, be a dick. That's and, right. but, and my safes are not sawproof. Mm -hmm. You can cut my safes too. But my safes are shallow, small, so you put them in places where thieves don't look. And we have this whole, whole, there's a whole, there's just so much data on this, it's easy to do. If you actually spend time to look at crime data, and it's readily available. Thief breaks into your home, it's during the daytime, they go into the master bathroom, master bedroom, home office den, dining room, they're out, they're out in nine minutes. And boom, that's, that is the bulk of all break-ins. They want prescription drugs. Hmm. If they don't get those, they're looking for a valuable, they go in for silver, they go for electronics, they're out. The minute a thief finds something of value, they're gone. Because now they've won. Anything more, they're, they're just putting, and time in the home is time at risk. So the minute they find something, they're gone. So we look at weapon storage or gun storage in a home. You sleep in your bedroom, you're vulnerable. One, one firearm. If husband and wife both are shooters, one gun per fast access. Whether it's, I use an AR-15. I have a fast box under my bed. That's just I'm not I'm not really I'm not a handgun guy. I don't train enough. I'm proficient with an AR-15, so I'm comfortable. That's what I use. It's magazine. It's racked ready to roll. Next, I look at kitchen. Thieves ignore kitchens. Now I've got a pretty good gun collection. My kitchen pantry's got enough size to it. I've got an agile cabinet in there with six guns. Part of my collection one of which is an AR-15 racked ready to roll, also an exit point to the home. So I could arm myself, get out of the house. I mean, people all want to be Rambo. Armed, get out, avoid the conflict, call the police, let them deal with it. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to shoot somebody. I mean, if I'm being shot at, you return fire, but I'm not looking for I don't. I don't want to, I mean, I'm not a fighter. It's, it's I'm a guitar player. I mean, there's, there's, oh, we, everybody thinks like the whole thing of like, you know, defending your home. The reality is, is, I don't want to firefight. I, I mean, whole, I have a whole plan for this. Yeah, so you pray after, for this to have like, please, after, please let after, after your kitchen, closet next to your front door, coat closet. Nobody looks in there. It's just coats. I've got an agile in there. I've got again. I got some lever actions. I've got a pump shotgun with something in the tube, and I've got an AR-15. Somebody's at my front door. I look. I don't want to let them in. They decide to get aggressive. Again, three seconds. I'm armed. Den. Small, fast-access handgun safe, some, something in a den, again, not a lot of firearms. If you've got a guest bedroom, take that room and just put a made bed or strip bed, bedside table with a lamp, piece of generic art in the wall, and a chair, nothing else in the room. In that closet, I've got a, a wall of my cabinets. That's from the bulk of my collection is. A thief is running the house, spending a little more time. Guest room, they're not going to waste their time. Now, by decentralizing, I'm going really fast. we got more information available on that, but... When you decentralize, a lot of things happen. If you're gone for two weeks and they know it, and they're spending the time to run your house, if you got a big safe with all your guns, they're going to open it. A safe buys time, but they're, I, mean, I can break into them really fast. A pro shows up, he's going to open your safe in less than a minute. And you're going to lose everything. When you decentralize, and they've got time, they're going to find one cabinet eventually. Mm -hmm. And they're going to steal the contents, and that sucks. But the minute they've got something of value, they leave the house. They're done. So maybe you'll lose a few guns, but you don't lose your collection. Secondly, with a fire. If you've got a fire in your home, I mean, fire ratings. We, we just posted a video. We, we, we cooked off a safe. I got to know. 75-minute safe. Yep. American-made safe. My estimate was 12 minutes. It went 20 minutes. To, uh, 20 minutes to 400. No, 350 is a test. We were at 400 degrees. We put the fire out. The safe continued to 600 degrees. 
the rating systems, and we make the true safe, which we can talk about that. It's not something we market heavily. It's a real cement-filled safe. It's so heavy you'd never use it. We made it to prove a point. This is what a real safe is. The drywall safe goes to a test facility. They put it in an oven. They bring the temperature to 1,300 degrees, and they start a timer. And they got, they got temp probes. The minute the safe breaks 350, boom, that's, that's safe goes in an hour, 10 minutes. It's a one-hour safe. If it goes 50 minutes. It's a 45-minute safe. Your home baking pizzas. You got your oven at 450 degrees. You can put your hand in that oven and hold it there. I'm going to say you can go close to a minute in, at 450. And your hand is going to slowly warm up to the point you're going to have to pull it out. Take a small jet engine with the exhaust going 60 miles an hour at 450 degrees. Put your hand in the exhaust stream at, at 60 miles an hour. The skin will be off your bones in seconds. Yeah, you're It'll rip you apart. So flame fire in a home in a fully engulfed home is in excess of 60 miles an hour within the home it's a torrent and that was my point and i've talked about this a lot i've talked a lot firefighters about this fact they always say gun safes do never survive fires because of the convective nature of heat mm -hmm. so we built the burn room called the burn box and we cooked the safe it went 20 minutes but it was so small we just couldn't make it big enough you didn't get the violent torrent of air movement that we wanted we still proved our point that gun safe fire ratings are nonsense. The other side of it though, that people just gotta realize, cause we don't, we don't make a fire rated safe. We, we don't, nothing we do is fire rated. The materials they use are very corrosive. We can talk about that if you want to the, um, but if your guns are in a fire, A, everybody who owns firearms should have insurance. If you have insurance on fire, if your guns are in a fire, the insurance company's gonna buy them all. Cause you're never gonna shoot them. Hardening steel, changes at 350 to 400 mm -hmm. annealing changes at 650 to 700 do you know how hot the guns got if you got all black guns or chassis guns or there's no wood mm -hmm. you open that safe now the guns look okay but do you know 300 wind mag in a gun that was cooked i'm not shooting it if, if it no, blows up in your face no. you're dead and the insurance industry is this, they're like if it was a fire no we're buying them all because they don't want the liability right which is hilarious because they ask you when you're getting a new insurance policy yeah. well do you have a safe and does it have a fire rating yeah i've been asked that by no, they, they, they do yeah they do every time and it's but they're still buying the guns so mm -hmm. again don't worry about a fire rating and the other side of fire ratings is and i actually looked at pulled the insurance insurance drives all that data so fire claims in america this was 2020 i think i pulled you have to go back a few years 87 percent of all fires Fire claims the fire was in the kitchen confined to a pot or the oven. The claim is smoke. And that's the bulk of it. Actual heat-related claims in homes is extremely rare. And when they do occur, it's typically in one room. It's human air smoking or doing something stupid. Mm -hmm. And the fire's out and it burns a corner of a room. Now, if you decentralize your storage, worst case scenario, you're going to lose four or five guns in a bad fire. You're not going to be the odds of your house burning to the ground is so rare. Well, not to mention, I've, I've bought three houses in since 2008. The first two, nothing. My most recent one, which was about two years ago, and in Washington State, the wettest place yeah. in the entire country, every new home has fire suppression. Yeah. Every single one. And I yeah. don't even want to say new, probably with the last, what, yeah. four or five years. Yeah. I looked at them like, what in the fuck is in this house? Like, what's required? You have to have that. My previous home was built in 2008, I think. Yeah. Nothing. In Colorado, where shit burns. Yeah. So very interesting. It's well, we're become, America is becoming more and more fire safe every year. You watch that. If you look at the data on fire claims, it's going down every year. But the notion that you need a fire rating, it's you're being sold that by safe distributors and dealers and manufacturers. 
that spend more money for a fire rating, but what do you actually protect? Now, if you're protecting documents, buy a document safe. I used to, in GreenLine Data, we sold data safes, document safes. It's a different methodology of how they, they actually use a, a moisture liner that floods the safe with steam and, and holds that safe at 210, you know, where that pressure difference between where water converts to steam to 12 degrees. There's so many calories of energy you absorb doing that. And that's how they work. But in firearms, don't worry about it. The odds of a fire are, are rare, and if your guns are in a fire, you're not going to use them anyhow. You're going to replace them. If you've got truly valuable, valuable guns, build a gun room, fill the walls with aircrete. You know, air, do they use aircrete here? It's injection. It's foam injected cement. It's insulation. They mm -hmm. fill it between the studs. I've seen it. Yeah, the, the R value. Safe, by the way. the R value on that is crazy. Yeah. And then. The worst part of fire ratings is the materials used inside a gun safe are banned from use in armories. They're banned from use in, we do a lot of museums, they're all banned from use. Drywall is corrosive. Um, inside drywall, they use uh, formaldehyde as a dispersing agent, highly corrosive. Mm -hmm. Then drywall contains pyrite, it's in gypsum. Uh, Chinese drywall has a lot of pyrite, US has moderate. Pyrite by itself is not an issue, except it's coated in bacteria called ferrooxidin bacteria. That's a bacteria used in the mining industry to strip metal out of low-grade ores. Mm. It lives on the pyrite and slowly consumes it, which doesn't seem bad, except the what they, their waste product is sulfurous, sulfuric acids. I tell anybody, go to, go to a safe distributor, find a safe that has been opened in a week, open the door and put your nose in it. it smells like shit. It smells like sulfur. <laughs> and that's, what, that's what's happening. So, and then the adhesive for the carpeting, is a rubberized adhesive. On a 10-year-old safe, it's still rubberized. They, I don't, I'm not sure what they're using, but they impregnate it with formaldehyde so it doesn't mildew. Hmm. Again, highly corrosive. So why does the industry sell millions of dollars of products to stop corrosion? You know, the goldenrod, the desiccants. In the military, you know if you properly clean, lubricate, store a gun, they don't corrode. I mean, I grew up outside of Buffalo. My grandfather had guns in a glass cabinet, shotguns, a couple of old rifles, one of them was fireplace. I mean, he lived on... Uh, it's Lake Ontario. It's one of the more humid areas of the country in that area. They never corroded. But a gun safe, it's a real risk because the materials in that safe are so highly corrosive. And I tell, if you've got a gun safe, you know, open the door at least once a week, once a month. Vent it. Solves the problem. If you're going to look at fire or corrosion suppression, the golden rod is nonsense. Go with desiccants. You know, they put that golden rod in, heats up your safe, mm. which changes relative humidity. So at 65 degrees, your humidity is 70%. If you raise the safe to 80, the relative humidity drops, but the volume of moisture in the safe does not. You're just changing it relative to temperature. As heat goes up, corrosion happens faster. The science of corrosion, corrosion is an electrical process. As it warms up, electricity moves a little more mm -hmm. efficiently. It's there's so much bullshit in this industry about this stuff. And the safe industry, it's not that they're they're not trying to be devices. They're not trying to screw people over. Not, they're trying to just make safes. But in meeting with several of them, something becomes real apparent is now with Liberty, I want to bash Liberty, but their senior team, I don't know, maybe half of them didn't own a firearm. Nobody owned an AR-15. What? They're not gun people. They're safe people. And now you've got this, again, I'm a capitalist. I believe in capital. I think it's a great way to bring things to market. I mean, it just it works when it's allowed to work. Mm -hmm. Liberty is owned by venture capital. Can bought stack on with venture capital money, which is fine. Build efficiencies, make better products, lower prices, so consumers benefit, except in this case, we're dealing with deadly force. 
There's nobody at the controls of these companies that actually understands why we own firearms. And what, and you know, we look at our solution as, first and foremost, what's best for the gun? Cradle Grid holds a gun in a manner that scopes are free and clear. Nothing is touching. One arm, one gun, we call it. All guns stored in one row. You're never, you're never storing guns behind guns. Mm -hmm. So in the military, that was always the armor. In, armor. in the Army, they have to lock the racks between each gun removal. So you open with one arm, remove a gun, close it, and you can lock it with one hand, issue it. Marine Corps, they allow you to open the racks up in the morning. Right. But still, we designed for that functionality. Consumers are the same thing. You want to get a gun out of your safe, open it. It's one row of guns, remove what you want, close it. One arm, you're never laying guns on the floor. Also, when you've got a big, deep safe, guns packed in there, do you know if a twenty two is missing? You don't. You know, we The term organizational awareness, you open up our safe, you glance at it, you know it's all there. And then you've got the room for gear, and what we're seeing in the consumer market, and consumer market always mimics the military 10 to 15 years later. The military, you were in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. The transition from the M16 to the M4 was a transition from a, just a rifle to a weapon system of all these attachments. We're coming forward now and everybody has optics. You can thermal, the, they got the PEX, the IR illuminators, all this stuff is either mounted or not mounted. So our bin system, again, very simple, very inexpensive, modular, allows you to store a rifle with all the gear right behind it, right with it, and organize the gear, and every single person that buys my cabinet configures it differently. We get all these photos. It's, it's brilliant. Even you know when I was in the sniper section, I had five weapon systems, and they were all stored differently in antiquated systems yep. you know, within the armory. And then it just it's a brilliant concept the entire thing the whole accountability thing is is awesome even as like a, just a parent or you know mm. you know where your things are you have yeah. accountability of that all the time but the whole methodology the whole concept of having it decentralized based on yeah. being able to activate on threat i think is the absolute through line that's fantastic that's, that's where yeah where i always tell people is is you know, why do you own the guns? And I talk to a lot of people. I go to a lot of training classes because I like doing them. Again, I'm not a handgun guy, but I do go to a lot of, I do Mickey Shooks, you know, carry training classes and stuff just because I like to do the training. I think it's fun. Meet mm -hmm. people and do this stuff. And you're always practicing the mechanics. I talk to these guys. We talk about storage. And like, well, this, well, that. I said, do you ever practice retrieval from your safe? All the they, time. They, see, right. Most people don't. Mm -hmm. And I say, for me, I'm three-second access. But every night I got a fast box. Our direction's on that one, you monitor under your bed. Every night you go to bed for the first 30 days, every night you re turn the lights off, reach down in the dark, open it, remove the wipe, close it, lock it back up, go to sleep. Do that for 30 days, and then you do it once a week, then you do it once a month. And you just and then I just go to bed now. I'm just like, I turn the light off, reach down, just do it's it. It's a touch point. So in, in the dark, I'm three seconds. Now that's in calm world, but by practicing it every day, all the time, all of a sudden door kicks in, there's gunfire in your home. World went from zero to 60. I mean, the, it's got to be, I've never experienced that. But it's got to be the craziest thing in the world. Panic, all the shit that happens. It is crazy. You know what? If you get the muscle memory, doesn't matter if you're panicked or not. Your muscle memory, three seconds, I'm armed behind that bed, at the door, ready. So it's, I tell people, look, with my solution decentralized, every time you remove a coat from that closet, just reach in, open the door, just, just, Mm -hmm. Always rehearse, rehearse the mechanics of access. You can, I mean, if you're carrying, 
How hand guys who carry handguns? You're rehearsing the draw. You're rehearsing those motions. You should be. You can watch it a million times. Even I mean, yeah. the absolute best shooters in the world. You watch them check their equipment, draw out, prep their weapon yep. system, and the last thing they do is they touch their pistol and then they go to the position required yep. to start the drill. Every single yep. time, you establish you at that first touch point. Right. Yeah. That's we consider you know, our solution is part of your home defensive strategy. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, a safe is a box that you go and put your guns in to poof them away. Our system is just to put them, to secure them where you need them. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a different, yeah. The company's stated goal is to change the way America thinks about firearm storage. And that's really what we're after is, and changing the way, if you achieve changing the way people think, you get a tipping point. You know, Gladwell wrote in that in his book, tipping, I mean, it's tipping point, it's like the name of the book, where there are conditions that can happen where a whole country, a whole group of people all of a sudden believe something different and it happens overnight. And that's kind of what we're tracking towards, is getting people to wake up and say, this is wrong. There's, there's a better way. You know, I mean, we've been doing this the same way since 1973, and it's never changed. We've changed. Guns have changed. Why we own firearms have changed. The, the, the need for personal safety, personal defense has changed, certainly recently, the last five years. 100%. It's gotten crazy. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know that's that's what we're trying to achieve, and you know I've got you met Chris. He's our new CMO. We brought him on end of last year. Prior, I've spent zero in advertising in four years, and we're Inc. Magazine fastest growing companies in America twice. And now this year we're, we're like, like guys, we got we got to tee this thing up. Speaking of which, <clears throat> for those of you that are with us, if you go to Securit's Instagram page. We're going to give away an Agile 52. Yep. And then if you go to Secure's Twitter account, we're going to give one away there as well. Absolutely. It's a cool product. It's people going to, people love it. Yeah. They so, absolutely love it. So yeah, so go check out Secure's Instagram and their Twitter and uh, you'll have a chance to get a free safe Agile 52, one on Instagram, one on Twitter. Um, so Let's touch real quick on the carnivore. Yeah. Oh, that fitness yes. is the thing that, that Kevin it's, and I both share. So, it's, uh, you know what's funny is I've gotten older. Every year I get, I'm 60 now. I'm the youngest 60 year old I know, and because I just my kids are younger yeah. and they keep me younger. But uh, I keep looking for more and more ways to be effective because I always tell people, I said, guys, in 10 years I'm 70. So in my mind, I've got 10 years. Because at 70, true age-related issues, it's hard to fight that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually, we all end up underground. And I've got, I got had tendonitis in my elbows, which I've battled with most of my life. I've got arthritis in my hands that started um, about seven years ago. And it's gotten now where there's certain guitar chords I can't make anymore. It's, it's, it's been an issue. I've got uh, partial tears in both shoulders from... I was rock climbing for many for a few years back in the 80s, and I kind of screwed things up a little bit. But so well, I managed it through working out. But in the last five years, it started getting worse and worse. I'm an avid golfer, and uh, avid guitar player. And I got to a point I haven't played golf in a year and a half, and I ha- I can't swing a club, mm-hmm. I can't shoot a bow. I haven't been able to bow hunt in five years because of my shoulders. So went to every specialist you can go to. And really realize that if unless they can cut it, sew it, hit it, they don't have the answer. My, no solutions. No, it's 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 all based on wait till somebody breaks and then sew them back together. Or or treat a symptom. Don't 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 treat right. the cause. That so, drives me insane. So I just start doing my own research, 
and I, I got I don't remember how I got to carnivore because I was looking at you know I just I was just researching inflammation causes of inflammation I was like what are the foods so for that, what are the foods that cause inflammation I avoided certain foods and I really wasn't doing it and it might have been Jordan Peterson on Rogan. I'm not. I'm not sure because it was, it, was, it was right around that time, though. I'm not. A, I wasn't a big Rogan listener. Mm-hmm. Or somebody may have said, "Tom, you got to hear this. What you're looking for, because there's some information here for you." And I started researching carnivore. And last July, I made the decision. I, I just started. I didn't like. They say go slow into it. I just got up one morning. I said, "You know what?" You said last July. It was last July. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sixty days in, my my arthritis in my hands was gone no i don't get the range of motion back but i wake up in the morning feels different using, using my hands mm-hmm. the tennis elbow i've been doing shockwave therapy i've been doing i'm working with a physical therapist oh, yeah. and i'm pain-free i have no strength right now so i'm 100 pain-free but the minute i go to start swinging a golf club i can feel it so i got to figure out a strengthening routine i'll be golfing again did you try the lat thing i told you about the lat so most oh the yeah so yeah, yeah. most most tennis and golf elbow because yeah. if you look at the way we I, sit I have been doing that so the yeah. way that we sit yep. hunched over like this and our lats are in, it, it, you get, your lats not up so if you have elbow pain you just grab that lat yours aren't locked up at all get yours aren't locked it. up at all but I, like a, keep it loose. I can feel a knot right there. Just, just yeah. keep holding on to that. It'll, it'll release if you hold a knot. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I did, yeah, I've got a filter run right down. Absolutely. I've got a Theragun. Yeah. I do have a Theragun, so I have been doing that, but I work with a physical therapist and a chiropractor. And the chiropractor says, have you, when's the last time you your neck x-rayed? And I said, don't think I have. He goes, let's get one. And he goes, I've got an, I, I think you've got a disc compression. And he gave the number of the vertebrae that I'm betting you have. And we got the x-ray, and sure enough, I've got a compression in my neck. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I tweaked my neck badly in 1995, 96, and it was bad. I, I was, like, out of commission for a month or two. Just, And every time I sneezed, I would re-injure it. It was just screwy. But it's awful. So it's, I'm, I'm compressed right where the nerves come out from your shoulders. He goes, Tom, he goes, you got both shoulders, both elbows, both hands. He goes, it's probably nerve. And he would say, I go, but how does that affect healing? He goes, Tom, your brain doesn't know to heal if the nerves aren't sending the signal. So, this so, is, yeah. so I'm starting a traction where it's actually pulling that apart, trying to open that up. It's working. I got the Theragun. Sounds which like I've Brooke had, Ince's injury. And I'm doing Not the, as extreme, but similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, similar. Well, but I mean, it's, it's interesting just, that, again, we're treating the cause and the, the um, orthopedic people i told one guy i, I literally told him to fuck off <laughs> that's my and favorite. another i had told Good. another guy i he came in i taught two orthopedists one guy just because he said time i explained what's going on and i'm like this guy it's like guys if you give me direction i will fight harder than anybody else i want to be healthy and his response to everything was you know, maybe this is just as good as it gets for you. Nah, fuck yeah, off. No, that just, is fuck no. off. You're right. That's now, the other guy yeah, came in. That the other shit, guy man. came in, and I explained what's going on, and he's he's got two interns with him. He he pauses about three seconds. He goes, "Tom, I get it. You're a Type A guy. You're going, going, going. You got boom, boom. This. I'm listening to him, and, I, and he stops. And I go, No, I'm not. I, I sound like a Type. I'm an Asperger's guy. I actually see things in hyper focus." And I get really obsessed with the tiny details of things. It's just the opposite. And he just looked at me. I said, "I think we're done here." Yeah. And just and it was just. So but d- that's that's the medical community. I found a chiropractor who actually and there are, there are some great guys out there. I'm also going no insurance. I mean, I've got insurance for mm-hmm. catastrophic. I've gone to cash. Yep. Because I went to my and I've got a great you know provider doctor. He's mm-hmm. a good guy, but 
doing the carnivore, I said, I want to do complete blood work after 90 days. Mm-hmm. My plan was to go vegan for 90 and do complete blood work. Yeah, don't do that. See the, no. I'm going to steal Rogan. Did you ever <laughs> see a healthy cat that's on a vegan diet? Okay, i got to go back. Cat. i got to go back real <laughs> quick. So I have a fractured spinous process in my mm-hmm. neck, both on my chromium process. I fractured those slap tears on both sides. And I get this incessant pain that they call tennis elbow. It's right that's here. It. That's it. That's it. I've had – you should try dry needling. If okay. you haven't had yeah, dry I've needling, the, I call them the knives. Like our yeah. physical therapist, mm-hmm. the unit has them. I just go in, schedule. It's awesome. Shout out to Val and yep. everybody else. But is. they do a procedure. I haven't. I do. I haven't got it done yet. But one of the guys that um, – it's a long story. That we probably shouldn't talk about that one. There's a certain point in your elbow. It's called a I can't remember. And it's where your nerve passes through mm-hmm. your radius. And they're able to go in with uh, lidocaine, I think, and saline, and they inject, and it basically spreads it out because they get a little intertwined. Right. And it'll cause it breaks all it that up. pain. It breaks it up, and then it allows it to move freely. That's what a shockwave. You know what a shockwave is? You can do it manually. Yeah, shockwave does that. It hurts like a son. I mean, yeah. the guy doing it is killing me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like rolling up in a ball, and he goes, he goes, Tom, he goes like. I gotta get to the close to the spot that's really gonna hurt. Yeah. I said, I said, do it. He oh, just, yeah. And it, it, you it'll can, make your palm sweat. It, it's. You know who could cure works. all your problems? He's located here in Salt Lake City. Who's that? His name is Dr. Craig Bueller. Craig Bueller. So J- Craig Bueller, he does Chinese medicine, physical yeah. therapy, chiropractic, everything. He was the sports physician for the Utah Jazz for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So when Evan's daughter jumped off the bed mm-hmm. and landed on his neck and sprained his spine. Like, Evan was in a bad way, and I was like, go see this dude. So I was turned on to Craig Bueller f- mm-hmm. from a friend of mine named John Welburn. John was an offensive lineman in the NFL for 10 years, all pro. Um, he thought he needed a double knee replacement. Yep. Went and spent a week with Bueller, multiple hours a day, and the last day he walked out of Bueller's office, walked up to his rental car, stood flat-footed on the side, and jumped up on the hood. Yeah. And played in the NFL for three more years. Yeah. Um, wow. Richard Ryan has a bunch of issues. I sent him to Bueller. Melissa um, blew her Achilles out two, three years ago. And it was three years ago. And that calf has not fired since. So yeah. we went skiing up here last April. I took her into Bueller, and we went in there every single day for, th- for three days, hour to two hours each time. And when we left... She goes, I haven't been able to flex my calf in three years. So they do all this trigger point stuff. Right. That's It comes on electrical quite I, often. I, yeah, it's not like they'll push here and they'll push your hip. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then all of a sudden, because what happens is muscles turn off through, tra- through yeah. trauma. And once they're off, they don't turn back on. Correct. You have to physically manually turn them back on. So I would highly recommend yeah. looking up B-U-E-H-L-E-R. I'll get the information. But it's interesting. I talked to a chiropractor. He says, Tom, he goes, remember, he goes, the natural state of a muscle is contracted. Like if you cut your Achilles, you snap it, the muscle contracts. Yeah, yeah. rolls up. Your brain, your electrical system is keeping them long. Mm-hmm. He goes, so Tommy, if you've got nerve, if your nerves are being compressed, it's possible your arms are just tight all the time. That's why your tendons are so, I mean, again, I'm not in pain, but the minute I start using them, yep. I, I said, I got to stop. So it I, is this motion. That it's, it's yeah. And yeah. I'm like, fuck, i got to work on that you know, thing again. You used to kill me. I, I used to play a lot of darts back. Mm-hmm. There was a point when everybody, I think every guy at some point in their life plays a lot of darts. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I do that, and then you, just that motion of throwing the darts, the next day I was like, damn. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, let's not, you yeah. know, I mean, we talked about the, the yeah. carnivore diet. The elimination through mm-hmm. that particular yeah. diet, or, or, you know, variations of keto or whatever, yeah. 
it feels different. And people don't it realize does. it's systemic. Stupid story. But I go home. My mom's amazing. Italian. A couple generations off the boat. And it's a traditional meatball. And she knows that I don't eat starch, carbohydrates. Right. And I'll go, are these keto-ish? And she goes, yeah, absolutely. I will eat them. And she is a liar. Yeah. Immediately. And you know. And the first thing is my hands. Yep. My hands, my vascularity looks different. My hands are it's, tight. I mean, it is immediately. But it's systemic. It's your, your intestine, everything in yeah. flames. There's so many benefits to going, getting away from the carbohydrates. And, yeah. for your, your body gets used to eating vegetables. Mm -hmm. And you're fine with it. But when you go off them, like when I went back and I was in Europe, I said, you know, I'm just going to enjoy myself and not worry about it. And really, I think it was drinking beer and yeah. having, you know, bangers and mash and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden... The reaction is worse than before you started the diet. Yes, you're more sensitive because, to yeah, it because your body is not prepared for it. But the other side is the for people who want to try this is do research on electrolyte balance because mm -hmm. that's the, the diet you'll fail easily because your digestive system can get really screwed up. And for me, it was really understanding, you know, pink salt. You know, Himalayan sea salt, which is mm -hmm. really high in potassium, and then mineral supplement and electrolytes. And once you kind of figure that out. Well, it's important um, to say out loud, sodium, potassium, pump. That's yeah. the thing that makes your heart function. It is. So don't fuck with it. Maybe talk to your doctor no. if you're not in a healthy, healthy position well, right out of the gate. I was, I mean, I've, I was taking medication for high blood pressure. Not anymore. And I still am. A little bit. But here, here's, cause here's, here's the path for me. All of a sudden, I go in for a checkup a couple of years ago, and my blood pressure is like 156 over around 105 or something. He goes, that's really high. I said, it's got to be an anomaly. I've never had high blood pressure. Let's mm -hmm. come back in 30 days. He goes, go easy on salt. See, when I came back, it was still high. So <laughs> he put me on a light beta blocker, mm -hmm. and which had me down. I was shooting 138, 135. So I take my blood pressure daily. I go on carnivore diet, and I'm 110 over 70. Mm -hmm. Like, boom. And a lot of that is, when we first start carnivore, you don't realize with, with vegetables, with the toxins in vegetables, your defense mechanism is water weight. You with carbohydrate, too. Right. A lot of yeah, times yeah. you'll so lose my, 10 pounds. I lost, see, I lost 10 pounds really mm -hmm. fast. Oh, on carnivore? Yeah. Well, just I lost 11 keto. pounds in five days on yeah. carnivore. Yeah. Because it's it's amazing. So, and losing that weight, my blood pressure is low. Now, the problem with beta blockers, once your body gets used to them, it's almost impossible to get off of them. So I didn't go off of them. I've got an appointment coming up at the end of this month where I'm going to say, look, what's the strategy for this? Can I break them in half? I don't think I need them. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk. I don't. I don't yeah, want to talk before you just do some turkey. shit. I don't. Want, I don't want to screw around with high blood pressure. Yeah. And uh, but it, it is. It, there, there, there's a good and a bad to it in that. Shopping is so easy. <laughs> I mean, I'm a hunter, so I try to hunt. You know, a lot of, I've tried a lot of game, but I buy a whole uh, rib roast. I buy it's two hundred dollars big, and I cut my own steaks. I get up in the morning steak i bring one to lunch just it's it's have, so have easy you ever, have you ever tried fasting in conjunction with carnivore unintentionally mm -hmm. and that is when i travel mm -hmm. i'll go like when you're flying and stuff you just can't get carnivore food it's, it's just so, carbohydrates it's all that's yeah. all they have so available. i go i'll go all day without but my weight loss has been so quick i don't one thing at a time yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. There, there's other benefits to fasting. Absolutely. But really, if you're eating carbs, fasting forces your body to burn up all the glycogen and mm -hmm. kind of reset. Mm -hmm. When you're carnivore, you really don't have the you don't have that issue. Your liver's not full of glycogen, really. You know, it's one of the things that's interesting about uh, carnivore is the the degree of satiation. Absolutely full. Mm -hmm. And and you eat till you're stuffed. Yeah, yeah. And but I would eat I'd eat two ribeyes. Yeah. Well, two ribeyes a day. And, like, I remember towards the end, like, I did it for, like, a week or so. Mm. Um, and 
I lost like 11 pounds in five days, water weight, bloat, whatever you want to call it. And um, I just remember thinking like when like day four, I was like, man, I don't think I can eat this second ribeye today because I'm so full because of the fats. But one thing that was really interesting was like, did you notice your sweat's different? Like it, the sweat. I sweat all the time. No, but my <laughs> my sweat seemed much cleaner. It yeah, was sure. it was strange. Like it's, it, it's I I didn't notice that. It's uh, I did notice. Did you notice you don't sleep as much? Yes. I sl- I now I've always been six to six and a half hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. I live on four to five hours of sleep. I'm waking up at four in the morning, and my wife's like, "Honey." And I get up and I feel good. Seven o'clock. I mean, I'm going to bed. At, I go to bed at nine thirty. I go to bed pretty early, but mm-hmm. I never yawn. You never had. You know that. You know, you eat a big starchy breakfast. You yeah. have a big lunch. And there's That's that. There's trash. that eleven o'clock die, and there's that two thirty. You're sitting at your desk, and you're like zoning. We're not designed that way. So no. I've been saying this for years, and yeah. obviously there's actually white papers and research yeah. because I've been. I'm, I'm a professional at bro science, which is just try it and see what works yeah. for you. So I've been doing keto e shit on and off for a decade, and I've found what works for me, and it does not work for everybody. Period. But. When we were cavemen cruising around, you'd hang out with your tribe and you'd hunt an animal all day, which means you burn in those calories, yep. but you didn't necessarily have those calories. You didn't have that meal, and then you'd get it. And what would you do? Course. You got to eat the eat whole fucking as much, thing. There's no way to store it. Because yeah, we didn't know how to you know salt it and yeah. save it, and you know there's no fucking refrigerators back then. So you smash it, and then I usually get tired after I smash because it's in the evening because I fast all day. Yep. I smash. I sleep. I wake up, not hungry, ready to roll, ready to find that next you know mammoth. I think we're fucking designed that way. Yeah, I don't I, know, anyways. I, I, my body runs. The only time I get goofy is there's times when I, I know my electrolyte balance is mm-hmm. wrong, and it feels kind of like you're like two days after a bad drunk. It's not hungover, but you just you feel different. Dragging like, ass. There's just something. There's something weird about how I feel. It's just, I know it's different, so I just take sodium, a little pink salt, or just I've got a bottle of. Keto chow, is that what it is? I mean, yeah. That yeah, stuff, I, I just, it yeah. tastes like crap. Just take a swig of that, and, and it, it changes quick. Yeah. Every morning, I drink uh, whatever that is. I don't know, yeah. 16 ounces, uh, sea salt, and lemon juice. Yeah, I do. Amazing. Uh, I take a big bottle of water, big cooler I have, and I put in half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of sea salt, mm-hmm. shake it up, and that's my water for the day. So I've always got some sodium. So I had a bad habit is drinking coffee, 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 coffee. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I hydrate well, like a gallon a day. That's not even a problem. But nobody really thinks about or a lot of people don't that that's your longest fasted window from hydration you might sip on water all day because you have the sensation yeah. but you're sleeping for four to 24 yeah no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> four, <laughs> I wish. Bear, bear mode four to eight hours no yeah. water so wake up smash that then have your coffee and things yep. like that so you can replenish those ra- uh, electrolytes and you'll feel fucking rad i tell a lot of people that the, the people the people slow to wake in the morning oh, i'm just not a morning person put a Put 16-ounce glass of water next to your bed. Mm-hmm. Put half a teaspoon of salt in it. Stir right. it up. Mm-hmm. When you get up in the morning, just, just sit there. Sit up in bed and just sit there and get, try to get 16 ounces. If Minimum, get 8 ounces Hydrate of water in, in your morning. system. Yep. Yeah. And then just just wait. And you're going to come downstairs, and you're not going to be dragging to get that first cup of coffee. You'll right. want the coffee. I mean, I don't drink coffee because I need the caffeine. I just like – I did tea for a while. I used to travel to China a lot. I've got really good green tea. There's something – you know, 
It's, it's the process. There's, yeah, it is, but there's something about curling up with a cup of coffee that feels good. It's, it's the like, best. It's like a campfire. Yeah. I love the whole thing. My yeah. kids are they're so mad at me. I'm like, do you guys remember how to do the Chemex? Because I expect you to prepare it for me. They're like, Dad, we've heard you so many times. Right. I like it because it's, it's just part of the – just get the day started. Yeah. First task accomplished. It is. 100%. Because you know? uh, I refuse to make my bed. Because you, McCraven said to make your bed, I will not do it. It's Melissa does it, I will not do it because of Well, him. as long as it's done. Yeah, I think that's that's the takeaway. If my yeah. wife's gone, she's traveling. I make the bed, but I, I do a little looser. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just throw the sheets up. And yeah, it's not sh- art. I'm up. I'm up <laughs> yeah, at four. I'm a, up at not, four. It's not an art. No, an art you're, you're right, but it's yeah. There's yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom. This is fascinating to me. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, I'm a gun guy. You know, gun solutions. It's always mm-hmm. been a part of my security for my home and my family and everything else. So I was super entertained and educated which very is, uh, educated on this one yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it and i geek yeah. out on that shit big time i really appreciate you coming out where can they find you where just, just google secure it okay it's the easiest thing to do google okay. my name it's uh and we're, we're we're trying to be all over the place we're a lot of places we're, we're, we're getting more but the simplest is google us we're we're out there yeah. all right and, and tom's gonna play us out with uh no i'm just kidding he yeah. bring his guitar this time that's so yeah so uh go to secure it's instagram and twitter and facebook and we're giving away an Agile 52 mm-hmm. uh, when this episode drops. So go check it out. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so much. Guys. Appreciate right, you. Thanks, Tom. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!